I'm Kirsty Gillen. And I'm Laura Farlin. We are the AHSS Digital Learning Team. Welcome to our AHSS Digital Learning Coffee Break podcast series. I'd been brought into my room at that point and I was like, they referred to it as a cell and I was like, and it looked a bit like a, what you imagine a cell to be. So it's quite intense. Um, but then we said, look, what's the next bell? Like the bell gonna be bounced and the silence will begin. And I was like, how long does it last for? And they're like 10 days. And I was like, oh, oops, this is going to be interesting. Alan shares how he first got into wellbeing and how he used his knowledge to deliver a six week mindfulness course. He talks about the positives and challenges of hosting it online and discusses his key learnings from the course. Yeah, um, so my name is uh, Dr. Alan Marek. I'm a lecturer in social work. Um, I have been for the last three years at Queen's University Belfast. And I'm actually leaving Queen's soon. I'll be becoming an assistant professor in social work at Trinity College Dublin in September. Um, and today's talk is just about mindfulness pro- my, the mindfulness-based social work and self-care program we developed for social work students who went down placement uh, from January to May this year. Um, but the results from it were so encouraging that we'll probably look to um, probably develop it again for the social work students in different cohorts um, and probably develop it into a program for social workers because we've got some funding based on the project to support social workers in Northern Ireland's uh, self-care and how they work using mindfulness in their social practice. So that's kind of what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, fantastic. And you, you, uh, we reached out to you because you were nominated and then you also won the AHSS Digital Learning Award category for um, breaking through the comfort zone. And I, I don't know how you feel, feel about sort of winning that category, but a lot of the nominate, nominations that came through were talking just about the variety of digital tools and digital pedagogies that you were trying out and experimenting with this and how this mindfulness course was run over a year where you couldn't have students in the same physical space and you know when it's reliant on physical cues and everything it was just such a such a thing uh, such an achievement to come through and and to do it successfully um so we're going to talk about that mindfulness course a little bit and we do have a recording where you share more information about it which we'll link to in the podcast notes but maybe just you could talk about where the idea came from and a little bit of context around this mindfulness course yeah for sure it's funny um how i got into mindfulness was kind of a bit strange in a sense it was sort of like the least mindful way you can get into mindfulness. Um, I went to, I used to work as a mental health social worker supporting people with uh, people, some people experiencing homelessness. Um, so I worked in a hostel for mental health support. And I found that I used to really like, I, it was a job I really loved. And uh, I used to have clients who would have a lot of complex mental health issues and kind of different types of issues at the same time. So lots of anxiety, low mood, um, some issues around substance use as well. So I was always sort of really interested in like, how do you work and support people um, to, to kind of improve those outcomes, have better lives um, for them, their own their own sense of what a better life would be. Um, so I was working with a colleague, Spanish friend of mine, who said had gone to India for a number of years and uh, she'd done this Vipassana meditation. So it's this, uh, I thought it was like, I thought it was going to be quite laid back. It'd be like, you know, 10, like you kind of you sit and you, have, you eat your lovely like salads and, and have juices in the morning and stuff and relax and stuff. So she so goes, she did a Vipassana meditation retreat. It sounds really lovely. So actually I wanted to go to India anyway. So 
Arshia was going and she said you should do this there so I found the retreat and I was like ah oh, yeah like I'm going for six weeks so I have plenty of time so I booked into it into a fast meditation uh, center in Bagaya which is actually the the original uh, the original Buddha found Nirvana in a tree nearby which is sort of random like I wasn't the Buddhism at all really it was kind of funny um but I went and I was like look I'll give it a go so I went in 10 days, I was thinking, you know, grand, sleepy, happy days, this would be fine. So I went in anyway, and I did, I met some of the other people who had gone to the retreat, and really pleasant, lovely people, and they sat down, and uh, there was a bell went off, and uh, the, the organizer said, there's going to be another bell in 10 minutes, and that's when the silence begins. And I was like, all right. So my friend hadn't told me it was silent, because she knew I wouldn't do it, uh, if I had known I'd be silent for 10 days. And uh, I'd, I'd been brought into my room at that point, and I was like, they referred to it as a cell, and I was like, and it looked a bit like a, what you imagine a cell to be, so it's quite intense. Um, but then we said, look, what's the next bell? Like, the bell gonna be bounced, so the silence will begin, and I was like, how long does it last for? And you're like, 10 days, and I was like, oh, oops, this is going to be interesting. But it was really, really amazing experience. It was really intense. Uh, it was like you had to do 10, 12 hours a day. It's up to 6 o'clock in the morning. And then who knows me, usually the other time you see me at 6 o'clock in the morning is coming in rather than getting up. So um, it was kind of a fairly difficult, it's fairly intense experience, but amazing. So, But it was really, in a weird way, really easy. You had to sort of focus on your breathing and you had to focus on developing a body scan over 10 days. It's very small levels, but it required huge amounts of concentration and sort of like effort and, and kind of staying with it which is sort of that's how you read the rewards of mindfulness essentially so it came back so i had a phd scholarship um part of the reason i was able to go to india is like i'd been successful in getting a phd scholarship so i came back and i had very fortunate for myself i had freedom to pick what my idea was and it was always going to be in the area of mental health so i decided i wanted to focus on how mindfulness works essentially and how did i experience the really positive benefits i'd had because when i came back to the I did, I did, I was in the hospital for 18 months after I started PhD, but when I came back, I started to see like, this could be amazingly effective with clients if, um, and it really helped me to support clients much more in depth, I was much more in tune to their needs, much more aware of how to work with them. So I came back to be usually effective and supportive in a mental health context. So I wanted to understand how it worked because knowing how it works is really, I've always been a way of my way of thinking, I've always really wanted to understand how the thing works that I'm really interested in. So um, I did that, did it with PhD on it. Um, so I did it with the Department of Psychology in Trinity College. I did a PhD looking at basically how mindfulness might work. And that's kind of a large part of what my research agenda is, is looking at how it works. So I did a PhD, there's this clinical intervention called Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy, which is a mixture of the eight-week program, which is the original eight-week program, which is secular, called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And it's got adapted with cognitive therapy as part of over eight weeks. So we did a, the RCT of that program with psoriasis patients. So psoriasis patients are really high levels of mental health issues, but they're really under-researched. And I was particularly interested in psychological well-being and mental health outcomes like anxiety, depression, and also psoriasis itself. So we did the RCT and we did an evaluation of the measures to see based on a model that was I, that I developed on how mindfulness might work, but it was based on a, a colleague in Canada, Dr. Andrea Gavovich's Buddhist psychological model, because one of the one of the areas that the big issues in psychology, big issues in I suppose the literature you'll see in mindfulness literature is that. Mindfulness stress reduction was a secularized pro program, but it was taken from its heritage. Now, Vipassana meditation isn't Buddhist, actually, it's secular, but that's the, med that's the meditation I still continue with today. But um, 
basically it was kind of disjointed from his Buddhist elements. So lots of the richness of why it might work was taken away and taken out. So we adapted that and we did like a, obviously a review of the literature and sort of seeing what are the, what's the literature saying, the science saying. So it was a kind of a developed, what, the, what, what I call a clinically modified Buddhist psychological model about how, the, how these uh, interventions might work. So from that, actually, that's how the program developed. We did the, we got the, the theory was given pretty decent, like preliminary evidence. So it gave me confidence to eventually, my plan always was eventually to come back to social work and support social workers because there's really high rates of uh, mental health, well, not mental health, really high rates of burnout and stress in the mental health population. That can have an impact on people's mental health and psychological well-being, obviously. So I came back with a view. I, I was always going to develop something in my emphasis program for social work as, as it was my profession. Um, so it's gave me, so actually the digital, the fact that uh, actually weirdly COVID and being online actually provided a real opportunity because we needed to get an intervention. So I felt that we had to provide more self-care tools than we were providing within the degree, which is very hard because a lot of stuff has to go into degree in social work for our social work students going out and placement COVID because it was a completely new terrain. None of us knew what it was going to be like for students uh, practicing on like basically on the computer rather than face to face. And so I felt that I really wanted to develop in that time span and also the nature of the digital tools and the great work that you guys did in supporting us all gave us an opportunity to reach more social work students in one go because typically mindfulness programs are are face to face so we had to sort of experiment and i think that experiment went really well because we had we were able to involve our colleagues in the university of edinburgh as well so we were able to collaborate across two different nations which you wouldn't been able to do before and facilitate together so that's sort of how it all came about. Um, so yeah, that's probably a very long answer to a short question. No, it's, it's great. It gives it gives really nice context. And you've mentioned the opportunities that the digital offered you, but what, you know, obviously we, we kind of mentioned about not being able to get the students in the same physical space. And what other challenges did you have since it was online and how did you overcome those? I suppose it was really about the. I suppose and this is probably goes across the teaching in general that I found last year, but it was also relevant to this course. Was just getting keeping students engaged. I think, and um, that's the thing when they're not in the physical space, which it, it's very hard to pick up on the level or to the extent to which that they were. Um, they were with us when we were, when we were doing piece of work. So the program itself had didactic didactic input. So and psychoeducation. So really talking about how. <clears throat> the model worked and what type of areas of practice we we're going to focus on uh, like developing self-compassion and acceptance of difficulties and stuff like that like because there's more self-care so there's a lot of didactic input so the concern there would have been students might switch off you know um, and then it was experiential practice some of space practices so again students could you know just switch off and not engage so what we did before what, what i wanted to do was i really wanted to have a very good preparation before and after the program to see that what we're doing is connecting with the students and we're reflecting consistently on what we're doing and the teaching particularly online so we did um did these pre and post sort of like reflective logs essentially um so beforehand because we wanted to have a look another area we were interested in was social preparation for practice as teachers there was very limited literature on so we wanted to have a little look at because there's three of us facilitating myself um uh, dr carolyn blair who's in the school she's a research fellow we're, we're facilitating the belfast or the northern irish cohort and then dr mrs mccuster in the university of edinburgh and carolyn again we're, we're facilitating that so, so 
we wanted to all do vlogs beforehand and also help with the visit fidelity to the program as well we did vlogs beforehand to just talk about what did we do what preparation did we engage in what we hope to achieve and then afterwards we did the vlogs afterwards and we reflected on what we talked about in the initial part so it was really handy because you could just go on teams record yourself in a, in a team space on your own it gave you a really good sense of the richness around what what was working what wasn't working it was particularly important in the first week because the first week we're brand new completely different approach really sort of innovative way of the development of this program but it could have fell down quite easily so having those logs are really useful and actually a colleague i must mention uh, um, dr amanda taylor Besick, she was really helpful as well about talking about these digital pedagogies and what we should think about doing so she gave us some really good input into you know what these vlogs could help with so by developing those really helps because like i wouldn't have been able to do that with my colleagues and reflect on it i wouldn't have had time to do it because obviously you'd be like you know, i'd have to go find a recording device so having the tool there was amazing from that perspective and knowing how to use it because the support you guys had offered us is fantastic as well so we had all that there and then it was just like it helped us to go down week so week one our sense was maybe they weren't engaging we just simple things like we we had because it was a mindfulness program we wanted everyone to have options so we didn't want everybody to kind of you should have a camera on you have to do this that and other. it was like oh, we want to gently invite you to turn your camera on if you want to and everyone gently didn't bother turning the camera on so we were like oh god are we gonna know what's happening so it was a little bit after week one a little bit perturbed about how it might have been going because i was like oh, early listening engaged so the second one we just sort of made a bit more of a kind of pragmatic decision like we'd ask people to turn their cameras on again sort of an option but like more gently um asked them to uh, much more assertively asked them to and they did like and they really it got more of a sense so there's more of a flow more of a feeling of that context that was missing from the face-to-face -face piece and the other thing about it was i think the the accessibility of the program was a real because it was online is huge and actually now that we have opportunities to go back to face-to-face -to -face, we're going to keep it as an online program because it'll give people more opportunities and particularly we were setting up a social work, so uh, the program with social works at the moment and it'll be just that'll be so accessible for people that can come in at six to half seven go online they don't have to travel after work to go somewhere else you know they could be in the far-flung area in northern ireland and as long as they have decent obviously internet and they can engage in a program in that way so the digital tools are like they're actually so important and i don't think we would have thought about doing it in that way if i hadn't been for the fact that the net urgency with covid and also the the tools were there for us to use and uh, that's one thing I, I would be kind of hopeful that I'll, well, I well i definitely will but hopefully social work educators will still use those digital tools and all the learning we've attained over the last year because that would be a massive waste of, it, of learning and opportunities for accessibility which is something the social workers we should be saying to students we should be trying to get them to think about how do we make things more accessible um so where it helps us as lecturers to also be congruent with our social work social work students about what what they should be doing to minimize gaps in services and providing support so um so yeah that's sort of like the digital tools are really important that way and obviously just having been able to connect with like every week myself pierce and carolyn would meet online and obviously he's in he's in he lives in glasgow he was he works at the university of edinburgh and carolyn is in is in i don't know where she was just like Belfast somewhere and i was in dublin so we we're in three different areas we could come and connect each week and we could deliver it together even though we're, we're in different countries essentially and uh, it was usually hugely beneficial you know and actually it'll help me to continue to work in with social works in northern ireland because even if i'm in trinity i'm in dublin it doesn't sort of matter in a way because of the way the digital uh, pedagogies and our, our digital tools are there yeah yeah it is fantastic kind of the collaborations that are the opportunities 
that were available there and so you talked about how that that you would like that to continue um what what else did you kind of gain from doing the course maybe in the the digital pedagogy side of things um maybe alternative assessment or things like that that you that you think you would like to continue doing in in other teaching practices it's a good point now because i think one of the key parts of it i suppose we didn't have an assessment per se because it was sort of an optional course to a certain degree but what we did was we were assessing their practice through a number of methods within the class context so i think one of the key things for social work students is having the opportunity to really engage with um practice material so one of the unique things with this program was and it's not out there in any one of the space program is we had some didactic input then we had the 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 breathing exercises, the body scans that are that are net, complete net, obviously like the key part of Mindspace program. But then we had role plays, so we had students doing role plays and taking that didactic and experiential, their own set, increasing self awareness input, and then apply them to case context, which might be kind of stuff that they might initially, particularly as they are developing a social practice, might be a little bit challenging to engage with, like material might be too difficult to engage with. So what we would use is we would get students go off to the breakout rooms, which are usually usually beneficial, and then go off, discuss, and come back. Then we have a larger discussion in that context. So that would be how we we're assessing how are they learning. Well, one from like where they taking the didactic input in and in, integrating into their understanding of what was going on in the case context. And two, where are they learning from their experiential practice? Because the experiential practice piece is a different way of teaching. You sort of can't be saying someone's doing right or wrong because there is no right or wrong in mindfulness context. You know, I think one of the key reasons why people stop practicing is because the sense that they're not doing it right. So it's usually about being a supportive and facilitating and scaffolding their experience. So, so that was kind of interesting. But then applying to case context, we could sort of do a little bit more guidance around my own experience of how I would relate to that context, because a lot of the practice examples have been stuff, different versions of stuff that I'd engaged with and how much has been supportive of my own practice piece and social practice. So from that way, it was hugely beneficial because you can go off and assess them, go off and give them the opportunity to have the peer learning, that peer review process and the different level teaching levels, obviously as well with the didactic, the experiential, and then the discussion piece and then the peer learning and see how that was applying. So that assessment was particularly useful. And then later on, actually, what we did do um, was we did booster sessions. So it's kind of continued. So we had six months of uh, we had six months where we met once a month with students that were interested to continue practicing um, with us, I suppose, because um, it's usually continuing practice is really important. And we got those students gave us a lot of reflective journals, uh, or journal, uh, online journals again, which were a very useful uh, tool. And we're, we're actually I'm actually meeting later on to code that data, and so I did the code this week, and it's really interesting. You could tell the level, they get assessed, I suppose, the level of knowledge they picked up and how it was applying. And it was really encouraging for us to see them do that in practice as well. Not just not just see the, the changes in stress, which improves, or the changes in, uh, obviously, change in anxiety improves significantly. Mental well-being improves significantly as well, because we did a research piece as well. And then areas of, of, of uh, burnout also improved. And also, we're really encouraged to see other areas of, like, other domains of social practice, like increased empathy, increased capacity to be in tune with clients. So this is all stuff we teach on a didactic level with students and give them a chance to practice, but this stuff sort of evolves naturally if you meditate. So 
those tools and then like the kind of journals were really helpful. Again, we probably wouldn't have been able to, we wouldn't have physically really been able to get students to do send all that to us probably um, in a safe way, like a safe research manner, because everything was obviously encrypted within, within Queen. So it was all very tight from a research perspective as well. Yeah, that's, that's a really um, great way to sort of collect student feedback uh, and just a great resource to have. Um, so just thinking about future involvement with student wellbeing. So based on the student feedback that you have received so far from the course um, and the prospect of just returning face-to-face -face teaching, uh, what practices do you think that you will take going forward? From the feedback, um, yeah, so from the from the course itself, I suppose this course it was really positive, and it was uh, everybody was like because we did a qualitative uh, questionnaire evaluation as well. I was really positive. So they were saying like basically the online piece was accessible. They might not have come if they had it been uh, had it been face to face because it would have obviously a busy teaching schedule anyway. And they really liked the online part piece of it because they could relate to their peers. They can still felt engaged. Um, they, some students would definitely have preferred face-to-face. -face. I think that's probably the general team. And it's not necessarily, and some, well, it probably is partly teaching, but it's probably more the social part, uh, I'd say, from which obviously is a very important part of the experience of going to university and college. But what I would keep going is actually, like, again, this program would typically be done face-to-face, -face, but I've actually decided it's going to be completely online and it's going to be adapted for social workers and students everywhere. So I will, we will, my plan is actually in time, probably next year, is to run it again, but as an RCT with students from Queen's, Trinity, University of Edinburgh, um, and where else? There's other two, two other countries, um, England, so we've fought with a colleague in England and Wales as well. So we're planning to do the Five Nations study, so that gives, but it will be fully online again to keep that connectivity. And what I'll keep going forward, it's an interesting question. I've, I've actually was thinking about this this morning. Because I'm starting in Trinity now in September, and this semester we're online again, so I'm starting to pull, think about pulling together what teaching pieces I'll do, and I'll definitely keep the like from a from a research evaluation perspective, I'll definitely use Teams as a interview piece because the transcriptions are getting better as well. It's certain secure, and people are used to it. I probably the days I think the days of dictaphones and going around recording people is probably over in that context. Is really used from that perspective. From teaching perspective, I think the learning is really around using the using using I suppose the teaching how you the method you would use is make sure that you sort of adjust and probably in a better way from teaching perspective the way you frame your lectures. So you kind of usually like people can only concentrate for 15, 20 minutes at best of times. So you have to make it much more interactive online than you do necessarily. Um, I know actually you should do it say, it's face to face as well, but it puts more pressure on you as well as the way to make sure it's more interactive. So just be more critically reflective about what teaching you're doing and how it works how it work in certain contexts. And yeah, as I say, like the breakout rooms are really helpful because again, you have to keep that student learning piece. And I think there's a real, like peer learning piece because I think there's a real level of scaffolding that happens in that experience when they're talking to other students about their their awareness. Some some people some students will bring each other up and will talk to each other a little bit more honestly, maybe, and or, or students will be more honest with each other about their level of understanding about something than they will with a, with a lecture sometimes, which is unfortunate because um and they might not want to come across certain with the lecture, which is unfortunate because the reality is it's our job to support them to learn what we're looking for them to learn. So. From that perspective, yeah, so what teaching piece I do, yeah, I'd use all of the modalities that we worked well. I think the, the piece around key learning for me was, 
and this is something I would have done as a social worker, but probably wasn't doing as a lecturer is to do pieces around those vlogs. You know, I think they're really useful. Um, it's always good to reflect on your practice uh, and what went well and what didn't go well and, and how you improve it. So I'll probably keep that going as well in some form. Maybe not as rigorously as intensely as this particular experience, but because um, we've got a lot of learning on this program, but I definitely will. No, I probably will again for social workers because they're, even though they're a similar group of people and the same profession, they are different and they'll be more advanced. So probably will need to think more, reflect on what we're doing uh, as intensely. But in a more general teaching scheme, it's always good to reflect. So the vlogs will be useful, I think. Yeah, I, I, think, I think a lot of academics are thinking about that as well of um, reflecting more and how they can take uh, sort of their past um, teachings and how they've uh, done things online and try to move things forward and uh, take a more blended uh, approach. Yeah, I think I totally agree, Kirsty. I think that it's one of those things, it's like, I suppose we're, we're coming to the summer, we're all just a collective breathing kind of piece at the moment, but yeah, it is sort of important to think, be thinking like what worked well last year and what didn't. And I think the, the stuff for me that didn't, necessarily worked like i think one of the things i found really useful was the likes of canvas which i wouldn't have thought of before like the likes of discussion boards because like you had to keep students engaged and you had a sense of the students being at home on their computer kind of getting a bit more bored getting bored or not engaged or like i mean i can only empathize with how difficult it must be to try and do university uh work online i mean like it's on your own computer all the time how demotivating that must be so i think those making sure you're using those innovative online tools is key and we did a really interesting one out of a module called social work in context and we got the students to uh basically write up like take a podcast or a film or piece of art even or music that that symbolized this there was, there was the groups of clients that were they were working with over the course of the 12 weeks as there was the focus on different client groups and it was more about getting their 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 get their interest level going to talk about social work and kind of explore that a little bit more and it worked really well the students loved it um so that was a really interesting learning for me so that's something again from an online tool perspective that i'll definitely use going forward that's brilliant um and just um thinking sort of about your key learnings um what would you like to emphasize in terms of student well-being and mindfulness and um, so if you you know want to sort of share any insight or any experiences and um, just sort of for people going forward into this next year definitely i think for me i would be i think i start with social work and probably brought it brought it out a little bit but for me i've even my own experience and my friends experience and friends of mine who are social workers now it's having having a drink with a friend of mine on a wednesday who's been sort of practicing social worker for a number of years and we don't train uh we don't train i, I feel we don't provide enough support for students to um some well don't don't get me wrong like we, we provide an excellent degree in social work um but there's areas i think that we can improve um in supporting students to develop self-care strategies and i think the flexibility of mindfulness is really particularly useful and it can be uh, to help develop those self-care strategies and also support the social practice but they're not the only well-being uh, they're only, not the only self-care activity that our students can engage in there's multiple 
things that students can do. Um, you know, people can go for walks, you know, people can might run instead, you know, the kind of way they might just want to engage with friends. It's just providing that critical awareness of the necessity on one level to engage in a self-care regime, identify that they're stressed or feeling overwhelmed by something and using the relevant support. So whether it's going to a tutor or going to a lecturer, going to the support services in Queens, or whether it's just going to talk to mates or just venting to friends, you know, on the phone. It's just making the students aware that they are stressed. And that would be particularly important in the allied health professions like social work, like nursing, you know, which have taken obviously a battering this year because of the pandemic and the amazing work they've had to do. But that will have a toll on somebody's sense of well-being, both psychologically, emotionally, they'll be feel physically drained as well. So it's about making sure that they go into and provide that they, they know the importance of it as part of their profession. So like, it's like, it's the, some, like nurses will come in and social work, and they'll just go self-care, yeah, I'll just focus on the client. But actually, if you don't bring the self-care into your work with your clients, you won't be in the profession five, 10 years. That's the problem. You know, you'll, you'll gradually, you'll stop engaging with the client on the same level. You stop being in tune with the client and you burn out. And then people burn out, it takes quite a while to get back, you know, and people leave the profession unnecess unnecessarily, like some great workers will leave because they haven't provided the tools about identifying stress levels and what they can do to alleviate it. So mindfulness is not the only modality for that. It's a particularly effective one in my view, but there is other things that can be done. So, and the experience also of, of any student in uh, who's going to be assessed is going to be stressful. Anyone, nobody likes being assessed. No one likes being under the spotlight. No one likes essays or assignments or anything, presentations. These are all very intense experiences that people from university may never have had before. They may be coming in with different, different levels of stress and capacity to deal with stress, but these are all really difficult experiences. And again, like I've done various different, I've done a few different degrees before I got to social work um, and different education courses. None of those, like even business, for example, they don't provide support for people to deal with that stress. So that's where you see these statistics, which are unsurprising to me of high levels of anxiety, high levels of depression in students, you know, particularly as in those in postgraduate levels. Because again, in postgraduate levels, you're sort of using part of your mind as the higher order thinking, which isn't particularly healthy for you to be using too often, but you're having to do it all the time if you don't like, like a PhD or a master's. So it can be, and it can be confusing if you don't provide students with the understanding about what's going on for them. So I think in every course, it's important that students are at least, at least at the minimum, allowed to feel that the stress is okay to feel. It's a normal experience of being a part of the university. And then ideally they're provided with mechanisms or awareness around their own experience about how they manage that or how they stay well and stay, stay good, feeling good throughout the course of the degree in that context. So my experience from the course was that, well, my own personal experience from, the, from my master's in social work and my, from my colleagues and friends and my experience of practicing is like, it's an integral part. You do feel stressed. It is quite an intense three years. You're going to be put in environments, you're going to meet new people, you're going to put in environments that are going to be challenging to you on a personal level. So you need to know how you're going to be able to regulate and process the difficulties that will come with that. And how you be with someone is really important, you know? So I think from that perspective, it's about really, yeah, all... So it's really about like, you know, how do you provide skills for students, not only to be able to deal with that stress manager, but also develop self-awareness that it actually can improve their practice, you know, that kind of way and develop as human beings and, and be in stronger people in that context. So, so yeah, I think that's sort of like, it's really key and it should be, it should be, it has to be part of the narrative around education um, and around university education in particular, it has to be, mental health has to be more of a forefront. We need to challenge these stigmas around mental health issues that might result or from education because it's it's a kind of a more of a societal issue, but 
we do need to challenge those narratives because I think ultimately, like, you have to basically make the reality the case that being in university is stressful and it's difficult and can, if you don't deal with the stress, lead to worse uh, mental health outcomes and challenges to your psychological well-being. Yeah, we we actually had a really interesting conversation when with a student. We had a student panel discussion yesterday, and one of the things that they did mention around assessment was now, you know, this year they've had alternative assessment and they've had more allowances for time and everything. And actually, there's a lot of anxiety within students about moving back to regular assignments and. Yeah, I don't, don't know if you have any comments on that, but you know what you were saying, the awareness and making students um, feel okay that, that it is a stressful situation, but also maybe raising that awareness in staff that not, not everything that they are going to go back to will be easier necessarily from what they've experienced in the, in the past year. I think, I think it's, this is one of the key tensions, I think, for me in how universities function sometimes and how the students are like you know kind of way i think so i, I suppose i was looking in a sense i was in the team that were like because we're, so, we're all trained social workers we had empathy for the students and we tried where possible to ensure that um but all exceptional circumstances were taken into account and i think that students did get what they needed but i agree like and we have tried to change actually the assessment structures based on student feedback. Sometimes they were getting all their, 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 their three assignments like on the year I'm on in the same week. And you're like, come on, like that's hard to concentrate on one another. So we have changed that process. But I do agree. I think that it's unfortunately there's like a, there's a tension with how the university wants to operate and wants to have things work in a certain way. So they want the exam board certain way. They want this back to students within a certain time frame. And for that to work from an organizational perspective, um they need to have deadlines set in a certain way so it depends i think the university need to consider more the students experience and i think it's really important like i was uh, i was for the school last year i was a student rep coordinator and my sense with the school is there is a genuine engagement with um students when they feed back and we've improved the mechanisms hopefully of that in that context but i don't think it's the same in other schools so i don't want to cast aspersions but it's about really getting other faculties, I think, to kind of, uh, or other schools to really sort of like engage more with students. I think there's a different approach in certain contexts and they can understand and empathize with students that there, there would be a lot of stress and anxiety there, particularly if they're not feeling supported around, you know, like the difficulties they're having. But I suppose what I would say to students is important to articulate early on as far as possible what's going on for them so that there can be a response. But yeah, I do feel that the, the, the university could take the learning that um, we achieved this year by getting students in a very difficult time, that if we can provide if this year, we can provide it next year. And it doesn't necessarily mean we have to go back to the old way, old way, the way of doing business. And my sense of it was in Queens, this might be a slightly provocative thing I can say now I'm leaving, but there was a kind of a fairly rigid approach, very um, regulation-based approach. And I'm sure there's reasons there that I don't understand, but tend to be quite rigid and it took a lot for things to change. And I think the flexibility that we've shown this year could be, should be uh, continued next year as far as possible. Thank you so much, you know, for joining us today, your experiences and insight and knowledge into wellbeing and mindfulness is just really um, sort of inspiring and hopefully academics and, and, and students and staff can take it forward into the next academic year and try and 
build on the knowledge that they have so far. Brilliant. Yeah, it's, it was lovely chatting to you guys. Um, it's always good. I always like that in my mindfulness. So any opportunity I get, I'll probably do it.